The last eight months have been emotionally trying for us all. Whether you opened in 2020 or chose not to open, this has been a rite of passage like none other, with no self-help books or TED Talks to lead the way. In these times of uncertainty, we must find it in ourselves to have the grit and resilience that we preach to our camp community each summer. Dalia Libris is an Israeli camp director who has run camp through other kind of tough situations that can give us all a little perspective these days. This is the Day Camp Pod. This is the Day Camp Pod from Go Camp Pro, bringing you the best ideas, strategies, and discussions in the day camp industry. You can find our show notes at daycamppodcast.com. Welcome back, my friends, to the Day Camp Podcast. I'm Andy Pritikin, the director of Liberty Lake in the Philly suburbs of New Jersey. And we are joined today with my friend Dahlia. How you doing, Dahlia? I'm great. How are you? This is our longest distance podcast that we've had, you know? But I, I think people don't realize that that Israel is not on the other side of the world. It's, what, six hours, right? That's the difference? Um Time-wise is seven hours. Travel time is 12 hours. So we kind of are on the other side of the world. Yeah, the other side is 12. My mom lived in Australia. That was 12. That was a solid 12. Um, and, and being like, you know, you, you, you call Israel and you say, hey, Dolly, you ready for the podcast? And you get an Israeli response, which is, I have to pick my daughter up from the bus stop because she's off for a few days from her army protocol. From the train station. Let's train make station, right, right. So, yeah. It doesn't get more Israeli than that. <laughs> True. So, so for, for those people who don't realize, um, talk about grit and per- perseverance and resilience, which is one of the topics we're going to talk about. Um, what is the deal in, in if, if I was uh, a teenager in uh, Israel, what's my commitment? Your commitment is if you are right now, as of now, female two years, male three years um, mm-hmm. in the army. It's after you finish your last year in school, high school. When you're 18, and um, I mean, some soldiers sign on and they go and they're lieutenants and they can sign on for whatever another year, two, three, or just stay in the army for the rest of their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, yeah, two or three Gets years already. Yeah, you get that plus a couple of years of working at a camp, you'd be pretty or you'd be pretty good for life. I think we're all set for life. <laughs> <laughs> the salary they pay in the army is not great. It's worse than camp. <laughs> So Dahlia, did you, I know you you grew up some in Israel, some in the states, right? When did you did go to camp yourself, or did you go to camp yourself? First, first of all, I grew up in Israel, South America, and the U.S. Mm. That's in the one for you. I grew up in Peru for six years, right? As a and um, we moved back to Israel when I was twelve, and that was the summer my parents sent me to a camp, Camp Rama, in Massachusetts, mm-hmm. uh, with my brother. It was the first time ever I'd been to camp most amazing experience in my life. And looking back, I believe that that's probably the reason I became a camp director, though I didn't know. So when I, when I, when I started, when I founded the camp here in Israel, Mm -hmm. uh, probably 10 or 20 years into my job, I suddenly realized, Oh wait, I think that's what did it. (laughs) Got it. So, all right. So you, then you went to Miami, right? Uh, Before that I was in, I lived in Miami. Oh, that was before Peru. That, no, Peru was when I was six years old. Right. Till 11, nearly 12. Then I lived in Miami for a year. Gotcha. And then we moved back to Israel. And that was huh? the summer of the Census States. For summer. All right. So, th- so then you put in your time in the army. And then, <laughs> and then what? Wow. Seriously? Yeah. You have plenty of time. Yeah, we're going to you know, give us the short version of it. Okay. So I went, um, I started studying um, economics 
And after a year, my dad said to me, cut the bullshit. I was a gymnast and a swimmer and I like sports was my thing. So that my dad said to me, you know, just go do what you enjoy doing. So I went into Wingate Institute, which is um, the truth is it's worldwide, well-known um, physical education. Mm -hmm. And then I moved to the States with my husband where I studied um, sports medicine, athletic training. And then I moved back to Israel and I started working at the American International School. I was a teacher and I worked um, as an athletic trainer with the sport teams, with the basketball teams. And at some point I went up to the superintendent and I said, um, how come we don't have a summer camp? At this point, I had one and a half kids. <laughs> mm -hmm. And obviously my, my, my reasoning was um, giving my kids, A, the language, the, the English, uh, B, the culture, a lot of things that I like that um, what U.S. people have, please, thank you, all kinds of things that <laughs> don't have. That's funny. Um, and let alone all the, the camp experience that was really, it, it was really mainly in my head. It was not something that necessarily I remember I'd experienced. Because at this point, the camp is, is the camp experience that you had limited to the time you had at Ramah at this point? Yes. So that's interesting. So resident camp experience. So similar to me, by the way, I never attended day camp myself. Actually, I, attended... actually, I also worked at a day camp here in Israel. I forgot when I was like 13 and they, um, I was an assistant and then the person in charge suddenly, I don't know, they fired them or something. And I was in charge of like 15 kids when I was like, I guess, 13 or 14. So right, well, we're not going to ask about child labor laws in Israel well, at this time because yeah. this I don't was, know. Uh, 40 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> So that's a, that's a great story. So that you brought the concept of running a camp to the school that you were working at. That's excellent because um, certainly that's something that can be done at a lot of schools. And, and what I'm seeing right now in America is I'm seeing a lot of schools cut their camps because during this time of COVID and all, they are trying to sort of just minimize their exposure and minimize their variables and, and going to like, this is what we do best. So we're just going to focus on school and camp. Yeah, it gives us a few thousand dollars in the end of the day, but there's just so many variables we don't want to deal with. It's very sad. So some real prestigious schools that had some pretty decent camps are now going to the wayside right now. Maybe they'll come back, you know, in 2022, but they're not planning on opening on 2021, which is sort of sad to see. Wow. The thing is that I think people don't realize the importance of camp. Um, school looks as if it's more important for kids, whereas in camp, kids get so much more. Mm -hmm. Preach, baby, preach. So, um, so what does day camp, generally speaking, what does day camp look like in Israel during times of peace? Let's say <laughs> times of not non-COVID. Yes. Well, yeah, yeah, in times of non-COVID, non-non-social, you know, like craziness, you know, like in a normal summer, what is day camp in Israel like? Uh, first of all, there is no such thing as normal summer because you guys have rainy days, which we don't have because summer here, <laughs> but we get other things shooting through the sky like rockets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, so, that's a big one. Yeah. So, and I guess that's a big, that's an interesting thing that, that you said in, in that um, when you're such a small country, right. And there's so much civil unrest, that's like almost like just even when it's quiet, it can happen at any time kind of thing. Yeah. And you have, you know, neighboring countries that have, you know, some, some unstable people at the, you know, in charge that, yeah, it, it's, 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 you're almost always living in the situation sort of like, you know, I, I sort of correlated a little bit to COVID that when we ran this summer, that even though things were going really well, 
we were just waiting for a shoe to drop. We were just waiting for all of a sudden to get positive tests and then everything go down the tubes. All right. What's the next surprise down the, like what, what are, within the next 30 minutes, what's going to happen that I'm not expecting. <laughs> right. Right. Well, you know, and that's why I was, I was telling you the last time we spoke that, you know, Israelis, you know, they are, they have that perseverance and grit just because they're grown up that way. They're hardened by it, you know? So, 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 be, be a little more specific. Like what are the kind of things that, that you're talking about rockets flying through the air? And then that is, that's not a joke, right? No, no, but, no, but other, other kind of things too, that, that you have to deal with, like, you know, the night before you, you read the news and this is what's happening. Um, you know, yeah. What are the kind of things we're talking about? I'll tell you what, the truth is that uh, nearly every summer over the past few years, I, I want to say six, seven years, um, there's been like this thing in the air that you're like, that, that, we're expecting a war. And what happens is the summer is the time for war or for other countries to attack us because the skies are clear. So it's easier for them. And that's, I think that that, that is one of the main reasons. So every like May and June, we're like, wait, is something going to happen or is something not going to happen? Um, things are warming up and like you hear stuff on the news. And every year I have people saying, do you think there's going to be a war this summer? And you know, it's like just a given. There might be, there might not be. After um, the last war we had during the summer, which was uh, 2016, I believe it was, um, where we really literally, first of all, what we have is we are, um, by law, we have to have a drill uh, within the first two or three days of camp. Uh, not a fire drill, but like a war drill, uh, shelter, uh, shelters and stuff like that. So I, I make sure to do that, which is, it's a bit of a bummer because like you're getting the kids who are all in camp and it is, they're a like, bit of a they're in camp. They're having like the best time ever. They're right. whatever playing hockey, doing things they don't do throughout the year because we have a lot of activities that don't kids don't go to, or don't, they don't exist in Israel. And they're like, and suddenly, okay, we're having, you know, we have to have a drill and you have to go to the shelters and the kids sometimes don't know if it's for real or if it's a drill because mm-hmm. they they have been brought up in Israel and sometimes these are not drills. So um, a few years ago when we did have the war, it was actually on the third day of camp. And fortunately, we'd had the drill the day before. So we really knew what to do. Nevertheless, I can't tell you, I did not panic. And I stood outside and I had parents standing up not knowing what to do because they didn't drill with us. It's only the kids and the, and the staff. Mm-hmm. So I was like bringing parents in from the parking lot. Um, so were the parents just showing up like the, the sirens started going and the parents said, shit, I got, I got to go pick up my kids. It's cool. No, I, I it was exactly, the first siren was when camp starts, camp starts at eight 30 kids start arriving at eight o'clock. And this was like eight 27 or something like that. Camp hadn't even started. So the buses mm-hmm. were just dropping the kids off. Literally it was, you know, and we had some parents because in Israel we do have pick up and drop off by parents. So out of about 600 kids I have, I have about 200 kids who are coming with their parents mm-hmm. and parents have no idea. So they were like gluing themselves to the wall outside because that was their only choice, they thought. So it was, it was, I mean, it was challenging. And then um, what happens in Israel this time, and it happened um, in one of the previous wars, I, I don't remember the year, I believe it was well, probably 15 years ago where I had parents who come from the States and their kids are in the day camp. And I was sure the parents are going to say, okay, my kids aren't coming to camp as of tomorrow. And everybody's dropping their kids off at camp. And I'm like, what's going on? Why don't they just stay home? <laughs> <laughs> and the parents are like, 
listen, I'd rather they're here. I know they're in good hands. I know you have shelters. And what am I going to do with my kids at home all day? I can't take them to the mall. I can't take them to the beach. I can't go anywhere. They might as well be in camp. Well, and, and there's and, and not to be like morbid about it, but there's just as much chance of a Tomahawk missile landing on their house as it is in your school, you know? But, but when you, like me as a parent... Um, when stuff was going on and heated up here, I have to tell you, when my kids were younger, I'd rather they're at home with me where I know that they're safe, opposed to in a school where I'm not sure they're going to make it on time to the shelter, or -hmm. they're going to hear the siren. You know what I'm saying? Because it it does get chaotic, and some people do panic. So you have to learn how to not panic, which is something I suddenly discovered I had. I didn't know I had it within me. But those are things that you live with here. And um, it's just part of life. (laughs) Right. So, so when these quote unquote wars happen, these conflicts happen, right? These are not one off, like is, everything's fine the next day. Like no. this could be a week or two of, of you're looking up in the sky and, and just waiting for the next thing to happen. Um, and like you, so, so have you had to, have you had to close camp for certain amounts of days? We actually did not. We didn't. Wow. Because, um, yeah, every time we were, we have supervision and people come and see what we mm-hmm. do and everything. There are camps that close because the parents don't trust. But fortunately, I have parents who really, really trusted us and they felt their kids were in, in good hands. Um, and also, I mean, what I would do is right after there was a siren, we'd send out either an email or um, a text message. We had both systems and we told parents in advance. We also sent out like emails notifying how the system is going to work. So, you know, we'd say, don't call us to ask if everything's okay. You can imagine 600 kids, 1200 parents, not more calling. So we'd immediately send out an email. The kids were in the shelters. Everything's fine. Nothing happened here. The kids are back in activities. If mm-hmm. God forbid a kid panicked or if there were anything, we'd call the parents. So that, you know, that J- Just so we can get a visual of what you're talking about. The shelters are basements? Uh, yes, they are. Gotcha. Their basement. But think about it. Sometimes it's it's uh, where they have a classroom. I mean, they might have mm-hmm. arts and crafts in there. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So. Wow. The parallels are just so eerie about, um, you know, running camp during COVID uh, in, in a way, because you have so many parents who are like, I-, I need my kid out of the house. I need him there. You know, it- it's more important for them to be mentally healthy than to be stuck, you know, home kind of thing. Uh, and-, and then you have people that are just like, even though... Even though it, it's sort of irrational, I'd rather just have my kid home and be able to stare at them and know that they're right here in front of me, right? Sure. There's that level of comfort. And uh, it's almost like 50-50 in how people think about this is what I've found. Um, and and uh, all I could say is that I think that America is becoming a little more like Israel in their feelings about COVID because we're living with it longer. And the longer that you're with it, the more it becomes you normalized. Learn you learn to live with whatever life gives you, you know. This is the situation. It's not going anywhere, not meanwhile. And you can either live with it or close yourself in your room. I mean, and not do, you know, and like everything in life. Again, mm-hmm. I mean, I wish I didn't have wars to live with. I wish I didn't have these. Th- I mean, we've had times when we had uh, buses exploding. Uh, you don't want to get on a bus. Right. You really do not want to get on a bus. Right. Um, Have, did you ever get to a point in regards to that where where you told parents just drive your kids in? You know, uh, like as opposed I, to using the camp buses? I didn't run camp in those days. It was before, two, like b- around 2000. Well, maybe I did. Uh, no, first of all, those are public buses. Right. 
I have to tell you, though, that we do have extra security in, in camp. I mean, we have um, our buses are checked by by security. Mm-hmm. So before they leave their actual. Oh, that's um, great. State, like, you know, where they where they're sta- sta- um, mm-hmm. stationed. Um, they have to be checked. And when they come into the school, they're checked. And because we're the American International School, we do have 24-7 security um, mm-hmm. you know, and buses are checked and, and cars are checked. And- right. Well, again, these are things that you need to do, right? So if you're trying to run a summer camp during a pandemic, same thing. Like now we, we are cleaning the buses before and after every single run. Right. It's just it just becomes what you got to do, the accepted thing. And it makes people feel better. No doubt about it. Right. Oh, wow. It's I so, feel so interesting. If I could run to your camp, if, my, if I had like if I had a person like you in charge of a, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's very important that the parents know who they're put in their 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 in whose hands their kids are going. Right. To be That's a great point. And, and, and I've been talking about that with a lot of my friends that are in the nonprofit world where they have organizations that run camps. And I say, yeah, no, no, you need to have a Dahlia up front. Like you have this great person. Why are you hiding them in the side? You know, make them the focal point, you know, be transparent with them, you know, have that person talk to the parents, whether it's like this on, on zoom and whatever, and be really transparent and give them, let that person tell their feelings. Cause yes, I think the parents want to feel that bond of trust. That's I have to tell important. you that I, in the past, there have been uh, challenging parents. Uh, I'm going to give them a compliment and say they were challenging because it mm-hmm. was much more than that. Um, who asked <laughs> so many questions or were saying so many things and it was over the phone where at some point I said to them, and it's happened to me probably a handful of times over the past 20 years mm-hmm. where I said, you know, something I have to tell you, if you don't feel that you can trust me or send your child and put yep. them in yep. my hands, I really recommend you do not register your kid to my camp. That, that And I said it, honestly and every single time it happened to have said okay now i'm registering your kid to camp but i didn't say it with that intention i really meant it because you cannot if you're sending your child somewhere you're supposed to be your head is supposed to be clear you're supposed to be um you know doing your own going to work doing whatever it is you have to do and not being concerned with whether your child got their um, snack or didn't get their snack or did get their lunch or washed his hands or didn't wash his hands. Do you yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah. Or, yeah. yeah. No, I, I've, I've pulled that trick many a times myself. Um, it works <laughs> it, great. It's a great, it's a great tool to do. And um, it really is true. Yeah, I mean, it, it is a hundred percent true, but it's a lot easier for us. We're 50 years old, right? We have all this wisdom and that we, and we can back it up. It's tougher when I was 27 when I was That's 30, exactly what right? I was gonna say, that I, the first time I did it, I was probably right. 27, 28. Right. And, 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 and when you're doing that and, and you don't even like have kids yourself and you're telling this parent with kids, you know, but, but it's, but it's important that, you know, you can't do this unless you trust us. You know, if you don't trust us, don't send your kids here. It's not worth getting an ulcer every single day and worrying Absolutely. about it. And like right, I so, said before, sorry, just to, it's okay. it's in the wartime that I expected parents not to send their kids. I'm like, I expected a third of campers not to come. And the contrary happened. Like everybody's coming and I'm like, wait, how come, how can you be sending your kids to camp? And they're like, I trust you more than I trust myself. That's like, wow. Okay. I'll take that wow. as a compliment. <laughs> that's, that's so awesome. I mean, that's what I experienced this past summer too. That's, that's really wonderful to hear. Oh, so similar. So the one last thing I want to ask you is about staff during these situations, managing staff anxieties and fears, right? So here, I'm, I'm guessing you had similar age staff that I that most day camps have. You have like, you know, let's say 16 to 22 year olds, you know, kind of for the most part, plus a few teachers. Um, 
we, I mean, I'm just talking for myself. I found that that was the hardest part of my summer. That was the most challenging part of my summer was that I had to be part, I had to become a social worker in many ways oh, it, yeah. because of the stress that, that, that they, you know, they jumped in and they were like, yes, let's do it. But then, you know, like you know, said, all of a sudden now the sirens go off, right. Or in my case, a positive test, you know, comes back and then they did, they don't really know what it's like to go through it until they've gone through it. But neither do you or, or I know what it's like to go through it till the first time you go through it and mm-hmm. set the example. I mean, as long as we stay calm and we show that we're in control, even though we're not really in control. Uh, because we're in control. <laughs> don't say that. We are, but I mean, we don't control everything is what I yes, mean. Yes, we can't control we're variables. Control, right. But there are things that we can't. But um, um, look, during staff training, obviously, is when we, you know, we talk about all these things. And and, um, and I think that it's just like parents. I mean, if your staff trust you, and if you, um, you give them a reason or a few good reasons to trust you, and, and that they know what you're doing, then things are much easier. Nevertheless, I can tell you that when the siren went off, there wasn't a counselor who went hysterical. I mean, so thank God you have backup. I mean, for every 15 kids, I have usually three junior counselors. So if I had three and one of them freaked out, there were another two to take Mm -hmm. over. And usually there's at least one of them who's like really strong during those moments. So that's how we kind of. Yeah, no. And that's what I've been saying. We basically had an extra person in every group. Um, just in case those kind of things happen. I and, and, for, for and, those yeah, and, and you know that these kids, these 16-year-old, 17-year-old kids, that you, can you imagine what their parents are saying to them, okay? When they go home that night and, and, and the parents are like, you're not going back tomorrow, are you? And they're like, yeah, I'm going back, right? <laughs> so, so they're fighting their own little war on the home front before they even come back to us. So that's what I sensed. Well, in Israel, it's a little different because don't forget, at the end of the day, they go to the army. So, I mm-hmm. mean. <laughs> so, you're just hardening them for the army. <laughs> so, so, parents are used to it. If it's not their oldest t- child, they've been through worse. Mm-hmm. I mean, if they're, I, my teenage staff are between the ages of uh, 16 to 19 tops because then they're in, after that, I have a break, mm-hmm. like, till they're 21. Right. Um, so, then I have, like, 21 to 25-year-olds, and then I have teachers. Um so my 16 to 18-year-olds, unless they're the eldest in the child, they have siblings who've been to the army. So parents are... Mm-hmm. Parents are yeah. a well, you see, in America, you know, after 16 to 19, they go off to become liberal arts majors at college. It's a little bit different. <laughs> <laughs> they're, not, they're not seeing it um, as much as, as Israelis. Um, thank you so much, uh, Dahlia. Uh, I really appreciate you sharing uh, these, these stories with us. And um, we'll have Dahlia's um, uh, email and contact info on the show notes if anybody wants to reach out to her. And, um, you know, I, I just think it's wonderful for Americans to hear um, what it's like in other countries. And, um, you know, there's a lot of American camp or uh, camp directors who are feeling this just sense of uh, over being overwhelmed. Right. And um, to me, it's perspective. You know, it, it's just, you need to, you need to talk to other people and hear other things and, and realize that you can get through this and, and, and with flying colors, you really can. <laughs> and a little flexibility and um, oh, creativity yeah. of camp uh, people. Yeah. Should- <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, American camps have been very lucky for a while. I mean, we had a recession 10, you know, 15 years ago, but besides that, they've been pretty lucky, you know, and this is a, it's a serious bump in the road. There's no doubt about it, but we can get through this.
Right. Next year will be much easier for everybody. Right. <laughs> and also, I just wanted to throw in that I met Dahlia at the Tri-State Camp Conference, where uh, she used to come every single year. And it, and it's and it was it's a great opportunity with people coming from all over the world to um, to talk about camp and, and meet each other and network with each other. And, and Dahlia and I have shared best practices for close to 20 years now. So <laughs> thank you. Um, I want to thank the GoCamp Pro team and our dedicated sponsors, AM Skyer and Commercial Recreation Specialists, for allowing us to bring this podcast to you. And if you'd like to hear more, you should subscribe to the Day Camp Pod. Uh, check out the show notes, like I said, at daycamppodcast.com, as well as contact info for myself, for Dahlia, and my usual co-hosts, Sam and Tiff. Thanks for listening and making yourself a better Day Camp professional. We'll be back next week with another full episode of the Day Camp Pod. The Day Camp Podcast is brought to you by Go Camp Pro and the Go Camp Pro Podcast Network. Find a podcast for camp professionals of every age and stage at gocamp.pro slash podcast. Thanks for listening, friends. Hey, Camp Pros. We love that our industry is built on sharing. In order to foster that spirit, we hope that whenever you share an idea that you learn from the Camp Hacker Podcast, Conference, Summer Camp Professionals Group, or wherever else, that you're quick to give credit where credit is due. That way, we can all encourage more camp pros to share the tips and tricks that will make camp better.